Abundance of love Abundance of grace Now to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Listen to this one very short verse out of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Find Your Foxes. Look at somebody and say, find it. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love and your goodness, God. Thank you for desiring intimacy with us, God. We open ourselves to you today, and we ask you to pour yourself into us. Fill us with your spirit, God. Give us hope. Increase our faith. Teach us what you would have us to know is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Song of Solomon is probably one of the least read and by Christians and overlooked books in the Bible by Bible teachers when it comes to teaching from this great book we call our Bible. It's, it's a story about the love Solomon had for a woman who becomes his wife. It tells about their courtship and their marriage. And many people overlook it probably because there's a lot of debate about what the proper interpretation for this book is because there's, there's not much said about God in there. There's not, there's not much said about doctrine or training, but the Scripture declares for itself that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that we might be thoroughly furnished to do everything that God has called us to do. So there is a purpose for this book being in our Bible. Do we agree on that? There's a purpose for this book being there, and we need to take knowledge of it, and we need to learn from the Word of God. But people disagree and have different opinions on what the meaning of these scriptures are inside our Bible. But I want to remind you that it never means something to you and something different to me. The Bible says that no scripture is of any private interpretation. That's why if you ever go to any type of Bible teaching, Bible instruction, church, so-called church, Bible study format, and someone says, well, let's just, you tell me what it means to you, and I'll tell you what it means to me. That, that You know you're in the wrong spot at that point. Just as much so is if you had some type of serious disease like AIDS or cancer or any other disease and, and you went and had some thermal imaging scan done and some, some radiological imaging scan done and the doctor came in and said, well, I just want you to look at it and tell me what you think it means. I just had to get another CAT scan done on my neck following up on this uh, cervical operation and they, they didn't ask me, well, you see, you see this area right here? What, 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 do you, what do you think that indicates? I'm like, I'm paying you money, bro. You, 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 got, you got a thing hanging on your wall that says you, you, you know some stuff. It's not about what it means to one versus what it means to the other. All Scripture means, listen, what it means. How we take it 
is, is, is a horse of a different color. How, how we apply it can, can be different person to person because somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. It is what it is, but there's, there's, there's different ways even inside of proper Bible study when, when it comes to uh, understanding what the Scripture is trying to teach. See, some people see this book as only a historical record of the events of Solomon's life, which history has a purpose. The Bible says we have these stories for our examples, so there very much is an example inside of here of how a man should love a woman and how a woman should love a man. So the historical view is a great view. Others draw comparisons that teach how God and his people should relate to each other. And that's fantastic, too. That's an accurate way to approach Scripture as well because the Bible says we have these stories for our examples. We're supposed to learn from these stories, and the Scripture reveals God to us. Now, when it comes to what the best way to approach Scripture is, I believe that the first of the two views I just talked about is always the best view. It's, it's always best uh, that we look at the Bible uh, as it was written to whom it was written. We look for a very literal understanding of the Bible. Don't get caught up so much in what's it saying, the meaning behind the meaning behind the meaning that only the special people can see. If you're looking, I had somebody in my family not too long ago uh, go through some tragic events and come forth now with a completely different view of God, Christianity, the Bible, and it's her determined belief that God has shown her something no one else has ever seen, and it's her job to teach the world the truth. If that doesn't cause you pause, then you're really not hearing what I'm saying. You, we need to understand what it says. If your dad tells you, get up and take out the trash, he might mean a whole lot by that. He might mean, I'm allowing you to do this because I want to develop good habits in you. I want to teach you uh, discipline. I want to teach you the value of work. But first and foremost, beyond anything else on the planet, what he really wants you to do is... Go with first option first. If the Bible says something, believe the literal interpretation. If the literal interpretation is allowed, accept that. But there are times when there's deeper meaning. There are times when there's things inferred that aren't said. That's why we study the scripture. But to really study the Bible, uh, you need this word that we talk about a lot here called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics means the art and science of properly interpreting scripture. There are methods, there are principles, there are ways that you can learn that will help cause the Bible to make more sense to you. I give you some of the easy ones that I teach about all the time. If the Bible writer says us and we, he's primarily talking to who? That means you have a working hermeneutic. You have a principle in your head that allows you insight that cursory reading does not allow everyone else. If the Bible says they and them, it's usually talking to who? This is a working hermeneutic. This is, this is God opening up your mind to give you principles to understand the Scripture. Primarily in Western culture, there are only two hermeneutics used by preachers and theologians across this part of the world and that is the Augustinian hermeneutic and the Alexandrian hermeneutic. There was a man named St. Augustine 
uh, for those of y'all who know the oldest city in America, is St. Augustine, Florida. Everybody doesn't know St. Augustine was a black bishop from Africa, but that really cuts St. Augustinians because it's a racially divided city. It's a slave port. And for, to, for when they find out that this whole city was named after a black, it just messes folk up. If that bothers you, you know you're racist. That's, that's okay. God can forgive you for that. Check two, two. You know it's a professional mic man if they say check two, two, two. They're listening for the t and the ooh, two, two. If, if they say check, check one. You don't check one, you check two, two, two. But if, if, if you got issues with that, then, then the good news is there's deliverance available. But St. Augustine didn't just have a city named after him. He has a whole group of people who apply his biblical thinking to their approach to Scripture. And that's almost everybody that calls themselves a Christian. Follows a very Augustinian hermeneutic. He taught the world proper theology and how to first, when reading the Bible, try to understand what it's saying to who it was saying it to. Or in in his term, understand it as it was written, to whom it was written. All right? But then comes along this man named Alexander, who's a Greek, and Greeks are big thinkers. They're existential in their, in their thought process, and they look for the wider, bigger, deeper meaning. And so we have this Alexandrian hermeneutic that draws truth from within the text, the hidden truth, the personal application. And there's value to that, but there's danger to that. Because if you start looking for the deeper meaning, you're probably going to miss the current meaning. If you're always looking for the hidden truth, you're probably going to miss what's right in front of you. And it's the right in front of you truth that you need to see. Many times Jesus would teach with what we would now call an Alexandrian hermeneutic. He would, he would talk about fishing when really he was trying to get people to understand God. We would talk about agriculture uh, to farmers to get them to understand spiritual truth. He, he would talk in parables and for a large part, that is an Alexandrian hermeneutic. As you study the Bible, I want you to first understand it literally. I want you to try to see what it's saying, not always look for the hidden meaning. Because the hidden meaning takes deeper examination. It takes somebody who already knows the literal meaning. It takes somebody who is well-versed in what it's already saying before they move on. If you have a bump on your back and you don't know what it is and you go to a doctor and you say, hey, I got a bump on my back, and he says, I don't see the bump on He can't tell you what the bump is. He first got to realize there's a bump on your back. Is anybody following me? But then it's him that you hope can give you the deeper meaning of the bump. You're already well aware there's a bump on your back. You already know where it is, how it is, whether it itches. You already know if it bleeds, if it oozes. You got the basic understanding already well in hand. And if he can't see that there's a bump, you're like, you ain't my doctor. you telling me I don't have a bump on my back? I'm showing it to you. What am I saying? First things first. Get the literal first before you look for the deeper because you won't understand the deeper if you can't understand the literal. But this morning I want to take a look at this one verse through an Alexandrian hermeneutic. I want us to see not just this fox application, although there is a fox application. If you own a vineyard, put the verse on the screen for me, Dick. If you own a vineyard, you're concerned with what's spoiling your vines and what's hurting your grapes. I don't know anybody who owns a vineyard. I don't run with that crowd. Now, if you know somebody who owns a vineyard, you probably got some dollars in your pocket. See me after church. I'm just kidding. See the offering bucket when it passes you by. 
when we, most of us don't have vines, we don't have grapes. You know what I have seen, though, Nancy, in Lake Asbury? Foxes. Have y'all ever seen foxes out there? It's incredible, man, to actually live somewhere where you see foxes. You know, I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of foxes, but we don't have vineyards. We don't have grapes. So if we look at this from a very literal point of view, we can be like, all right, well, that don't apply to me because I don't have foxes. I don't have grapes, but all the Bible applies. Do you believe that? So let's look at how we can draw truth from within this text, even though we don't have foxes, we don't have vines, and we don't have grapes. Literally, these things are applicable to us on a deeper level. Now remember, this book is describing the love between Solomon and a woman. And man, it is detailed. It, it, I, I had a pastor when I was younger in ministry say he, he believed that the only people that should even read the book of the Song of Solomon were, were two types of people, adults who were married. And I'm like, well, I don't agree with that. And, and I still don't agree with that, but I understand his teaching for it. Uh, it's, a, it's a very graphic book. It's a very, see, now some of these young people are thinking, man, I got to read that. It's a sex novel? It, 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 it talks about sex? Yes, it does. It talks about all kinds of, of, of different, I mean, I'm not even going to get into it. Your parents will be mad at me. Read it and learn from it. It's describing this love between this man and this woman, how they cared for each other and how they viewed relationship. Listen, listen to what verse 15 says in the New Living Translation. Quick, catch all the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of your love, for the grapevines are all in blossom. One of the things that I've taught you for years to develop your hermeneutics is to pay attention to the punctuation. It will help you understand all literature. You kids taking these reading comprehension tests, pay attention to the punctuation. Read whatever you're reading in phrases. Digest it in bite-sized pieces so that you can comprehend it, not just say, I read it. Because just reading it, if you don't get it, is not as beneficial as if you actually get it. So reading with paying attention to the punctuation, the first word we see is quick. Exclamation point. So you have to stop and say, okay, well, what does that mean to me? Well, first you got to believe that God's in authority and he can tell you what to do. And if he says quick with an exclamation point, guess what he wants you to be? Quick. This, this is something that needs to be done. It needs to not be put off. Now, the little interpretation of this verse is that you need to watch out for the little things that can ruin a relationship between a man and a woman. This is what they're saying. We, there, there are things that can creep in into your marriage that can ruin your life. Well, everyone in this room is not married. Some aren't going to be married, and some are waiting to be married. This verse is applicable to everybody because it's not just talking about the relationship between a man and a woman. This morning, I want us to think about this verse of Scripture as it applies to all of our relationships between other people and even between God. Our relationship between God, uh, your relationship between your spouse, your significant other, your children, your friends, your parents, your co-workers, your classmates, and strangers. I want you to be concerned with how you are doing in relationship because a lot of people don't understand that Jesus said you have to love God, but you also have to love people. Some people get so deep in church, they become mean and bitter, and they forgot that while loving God, they're supposed to love people too. See, I can tell you this as somebody who's been in full-time ministry for a long time. It's easy to love God. God will never do you wrong. God doesn't lie to people. God doesn't take advantage of people. God doesn't stab you in the back and then come around and ask you for lunch money the next day. 
people do all that. All the married people are like, yes, they do, and we got to keep loving them. And all the parents say, yes, they do, and we got to keep loving them. And all the parents who once were children who are now growing up realize, yes, we did, and they kept loving us. Ah. I love it when I hear about families, especially with daughters, because sons are different. Amen? Stop believing this lie that gender is fluid. You're a boy or you're a girl forever. That's all you can be. You're a man or you're a woman. And you ought, you ought to take great joy in whatever God created you to be. Don't be confused about who God created you to be. He created you to be a man or a woman. I don't care what parts you cut off or what parts you have sewn on. Ain't no man in the world going to lactate and gestate like a woman or emote like a woman. He might emote like a feminine man, but there's no place in the world for that dude, and that's why they're all confused. And that's why, listen to me, and here it is good. That's why gender-confused people are 27 times more likely to commit suicide than non-gender-confused people. If you're a boy, be glad you're a boy. If you're a man, be glad you're a man. If you're on the other side, don't, don't hate, just be glad that you're a woman. All right? That, that, that's that's a, a, a free lesson for somebody. But we got to learn how to deal with the relationships, men think differently, women think differently, boys and girls think differently, but there is a way that God wants us to have in our mind to help these relationships. Not force your opinion on other people, not expect people to become like you. That's why I never read men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I'm not trying to understand how a woman thinks. I just thank God I'm a man. <laughs> oh, some of y'all are going to loosen up before you die. Or you're going to die mad. It, I mean, it's either or. I mean, you, you, you can get glad or you can die. That's, I mean, it's all going to happen at some point. I want you to see that God has a teaching for us today in how to deal with people. Say people. So the first word in our text says quick. This denotes urgency and effort. Two things most people are capable of but unwilling to do. To become urgent about any. What are you urgent about? Some people are like, I'm urgent about you shutting up so we can go to lunch. I am proud of you. I am. I'm proud of you because you have come alive to something. You have come alive to your own desire. You, you have accepted the fact that you have something you care about. That proves you're alive and living. See, there's a difference between living and existing. And too many people are existing. If you don't have urgency for something, you are existing, you're not living. Life. It takes life to be urgent about something. When you stop having urgency, when you stop having passion, when you stop desiring something strongly, then you are no longer living. You're only existing. It denotes urgency and effort. These are things that take life. If we're going to protect our relationships, if we're going to guard our relationships, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we are going to have to get willing to be urgent about something and work for something. This is something that is very difficult to teach people. Some of you have multiple children. Some of you have multiple siblings. Some of you just know a lot of folk. You can see from person to person. There are just some people who are content to be a bump on a log. I want you to uproot yourself today. I want you to stop being a nothing and realize that God created you to be a something. 
God did not put you on this planet to be a nothing. God put you on this planet to be a something, but it takes effort to do that. It, this word quick, it, it denotes effort, it denotes urgency, it denotes movement. And then it goes on to say, catch all the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of your love. There, there's something that needs to be done here. There, there's instruction for urgency. And in the next word on the screen, there is a command. It's five letters. What's the word? Catch. You cannot catch something without effort. You can't even catch a cold without effort because you got to get out and be around somebody that's sick. Some of, some of y'all, all y'all could catch is a cold. But that's a different story for a different time. You are commanded. We're all commanded to do something. We're all commanded to catch all, how many? All the little foxes before they do something bad. Okay, this presupposes to me that there are little foxes who are intent on doing something bad. And if you open your eyes long enough, you're going to find out in every relationship there are little things gnawing away at that relationship. Intent on doing something bad, whether it's your relationship with your family, your friends, your spouse, people in your life that you care about. The Bible says you, you got to catch these before something bad happens. The, the moral of the story up front is the little things that we need to look out for to protect our relationship. Now, for me, and hopefully for you, the most important relationship in my life is my relationship with God. Now, if I'm going to believe the Scripture, and I do, then I've got to believe that there are little foxes that are trying to ruin. Do you see that word? They're trying to ruin the love that I have for God. They're trying to damage the relationship. See, because Christianity is not just about keeping rules and regulations. It's about having a love relationship with the Lord. And there are little things that are trying to ruin my love relationship with God. But not just, that's not the only relationship that's important to me see I, I, I I'm a I'm a Christian before I'm a, I'm a Christian before I, I'm a man I'm a I, people are like I've been a man longer than I've been a Christian I've been white I've been black I've been Puerto Rican before all that listen at, at some point if you're gonna be who God wants you to be you got to exalt Christianity above everything else above your race above your everything you got to exalt Christian but I, I'm a Christian I'm a man I, I, I am a father, I'm a brother, I'm a friend, I, I, I'm a lot of different things. And all these different relationships that I have to people can be ruined. Now, that's easy to look at somebody else and agree with that, but I want you to think about all the different relationships you have today. People that you care about, family members, friends. Those relationships can all be ruined if you don't get urgent, and you don't put some effort into it, it's going to happen on its own. You don't have to feed foxes. They'll find a way to gnaw on something without your permission. You don't have to encourage foxes to come around. They're on the creep already. You don't have to encourage destruction of any relationship. The second law of thermodynamics teaches that, that everything is in a state of decay, except a McDonald's hamburger. They didn't say that when they put them laws together, but, you know, if you set an apple outside and you leave it alone for a month, guess what? You'll find decay. Now, they took a McDonald's hamburger, locked it up in a car in a junkyard for a year, came back. It had not changed at all. I mean, I, what, well, what do you say about that, Pastor? 
sesame seed buns, some ketchup, some mayonnaise, and go to town. Get to work. It's still good to eat. It's going to be all right. We're going to leave here today, I promise you. You don't have to work for a relationship to go down. That just comes. If you care about any relationship you have, you do have to work for it to go up. The trick is thinking that you're holding steady. The trick is thinking that in any relationship you have, whether it's with your family, whether it's with, with uh, a spouse, whether it's with God, is thinking we're just kind of maintaining. See, maintaining is just someone in denial of a relationship that's in decline. You just haven't opened your eyes to see yet. And this is why when I counsel people, when, when I counsel married couples who are falling apart, many times they come in and one person, usually the woman, because they're much more attuned to emotions, love, and feelings. That's how God made them. They're just smarter in that capacity than men. Men, if you don't like that, believe that you're physically stronger than they are and that they're mentally stronger than you are and just deal with it. That's just how God created people to be. All the women ought to say amen, and all the men ought to agree with At least we're stronger. If you married some woman that can beat you up, that's on you. <laughs> These relationships, if you think you're just holding steady, you are in denial of the decline. I have people come in, the lady, lady will have 7,000 things. Well, this, this, this is why we're here today. And so many times I've seen the man be like, I don't even know where you're coming from with all this. What, where, where does this come from? You never told me any of these things. I had no idea. Well, that's what she says. He's busy being a man. And, and I'm trying to help you ladies. I'm not trying to give men a hall pass when I say this. In the average man's mind, if he don't beat you, cheat on you, he works hard, brings his check home to you, he's a good dude. That's just good dude 101 right there. I'm faithful to my woman. I don't knock her around. I don't cheat on her. I come to church. I pay my bills. What else? Well, uh, yeah. See, they know. Make it so. Make it less painful. That's what every man want to say back. Make, make it doable. Don't take four hours to tell me what color shoes you bought at the mall today. Hallelujah. But it takes work. Can you agree on that? If you're not working on a relationship that you say is valuable to you, you are a liar. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at yourself. You say that you care about your relationship with the people that you care about, but you're not putting any effort into it. You are lying to yourself. And you're in denial. It's not all good. It's in a constant state of falling. If I drop this microphone, it's not just going to hover right here by my mouth. It's going to fall. Now, if I catch it, which is a good probability because my left hand will go further down than, than, than this microphone will quicker, then it won't hit the ground. If I miss it with my left hand, I'm going to kick it, and it might not hit the ground. Yeah, so I might just catch it. But it will definitely fall. Why? Because what's holding this microphone up is me. And my willingness to hold it in my hand. And it takes effort to hold this microphone in my hand. It doesn't take a lot, but it takes some. What effort are you giving to your relationship? What effort are you giving to your walk with God, to your marriage, to your children, to your parents? 
Some of y'all have bad relationships with family members, and I, I, I'm trying to sound an alarm for you today to wake up. I've talked to too many people, funerals that I've done for people, tears in their eyes, inconsolable, telling me the last conversation we had wasn't good. We honestly hadn't been in a good place for a long time. One of y'all going to die one day. You need to fix that before it happens. You need to call your mother on the phone. You need to call your father. You need to call your brother. You need to call your sister. The most important relationships I have are with God, with my family, and with the people of God. And they all take work, and they all take effort. And I want you to be willing to work for what you say you care about because if you don't, decay is sure. We, listen, we are not McDonald's hamburgers. I don't even think McDonald's hamburger is a hamburger, but, I mean, it's something. It's a, 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 a rat burger, a lab burger, a chemical burger. It, it, it's, it ain't no ham in it, but there ain't no ham in a loop burger either, but I prefer that. We take effort. Can we agree on that? If you care about your children, I, I was just sharing this week cause a really close friend of mine that how tough single parenting is. I've always known that, right? My mom was a single parent for in between her marriages and step-parents. And single parenting is a lot of work, but dual parenting is a lot of work. Parenting in general is a lot of work, listen, if you parent. Letting the TV raise them, that don't take no effort. Go to bed when you want to. Don't take no, my, 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 my friends don't have a bedtime. Well, that's because their parents stink at being parents. Told y'all I wasn't going to say that word from the pulpit no more, so I just didn't. But parenting takes work if you want to be a real parent. Now, if you just don't give a crap about them, let them make the grades they want, let them live like trash, and guess what they're going to turn into? Trash. Innocent child, if your parent cares enough about you to discipline you, teach you, instruct you, correct you, knock you around when you need it, take stuff away from you, set curfew on you, expect grades out of you, you got somebody that loves you. You ought to be thankful for that kind of parent because that takes a lot of work. We could just leave y'all alone. We could just tell y'all, don't burn my house down and keep your hands off my stuff. See, that came easy for me because I've given that speech too because I've been tired before. And I know the difference between being a parent and just letting them live. But the Bible says children left to themselves will bring their parents to shame. So we have responsibility if we love our children to be active. Takes effort. Takes urgency. Takes work. Any relationship, hey, you got to put work into it. The, the lie is, well, we're doing okay. No, you're either going up or you're going down. There's, there's no middle ground. If I drop this microphone, it's not just going to be doing okay. It's going to be falling. Eventually, it's going to hit the ground and cause damage. And I want you to be willing to work for the things that you say that you love. We've got to look out. We've got to protect our relationship. That, that, that's, that's the front part of this verse. That, that's the obvious part of this verse. But it, it, it goes on to say, these foxes are trying to ruin the vineyard of our love. So obviously metaphorical because they're not trying to ruin the vineyard of our vineyard. You get that? So obviously it's talking about something deeper. So that gives us the ability to go beyond the literal and to look into the metaphorical. It's obviously talking about something that it's, it's, it's showing a deeper truth here. It, but it goes on to say, for the grapevines, 
The grapevines are part of the vineyard that's representative of our love. So these grapevines that are in our relationships are all in blossom. This is the God design. God designs things to bloom. One of the things that me and the boys look at, we went on a five-hour drive the other day. Just had nothing in general to do. Let's just get in the car and ride. Let's look at God's creation. Let's just go get some snacks. Let's eat some lunch, and let's just ride. We rode for five hours, and one of the only things that we saw of note, something that we love to see, are azaleas blooming in the wild. People trim azaleas wrong. They were never designed to be trimmed. Okay? It's a wildflower. It's designed... And, but my kids can tell you, Dad has a unique relationship with most things, including azaleas. Dad has a like and dislike for azaleas because for about 18 days out of the year, they're beautiful. But for about 49 and a half weeks out of the year, they are dead brown sticks that just trash up your yard. Now, if you ever had azaleas, you know what I'm talking about. For about two and a half weeks out of the year, they look pretty. And that is it. Okay, God designs things to bloom. And when things are blooming, it's gorgeous. It's awesome. It's part of God's re revelation to us of his eternal design. Every relationship that you have needs to bloom for more than an azalea bloom. Every relationship that you have. See, here's the problem. This is, this is where men and women get off track in, inside marriage. And I'm going to get off this, but I'm trying to help somebody. This, this is where they get off track. Because the men think, as long as they got one or two things that they can point out in the last five years, that they did right, we're good. I'm talking about we never went on a honeymoon. I, I, I took you to the Motel 6 St. Augustine that night. The car broke down. Right, dudes? You could have slept in the car. I mean, we could lay beside the car. It don't matter to a man. We, we sleep on the floor. And to a man, one, one or two things. That, that, that's how people value them azaleas. No, we're not tearing those azaleas up. They're beautiful. No, they're ugly brown sticks. A couple days out of the year, they show out. That, that's the average dude. And he's like, what are you talking about throwing me away? I'm like an azalea. Yes, you are. But it takes more than that. It takes vineyard blooming. It it, God wants your relationship to blossom. Why? Because the blossom proves life. You ride by the average azalea bush 49 and a half weeks out of the year, you can't tell me if it's healthy or unhealthy. You don't know if it's ever going to bloom again. It's just like crepe myrtles. Crepe myrtles, about, I mean, they bloom longer, but you look at them dead in the winter, they could be dead dead or they could just be half dead. About like St. Augustine sod. You look at it in the winter, you'd be like, Man, I don't know if that's coming back, dog. It's a toss-up at this point. But when it's blooming, you see life in it. Do you care enough about the things you care about to want to see life in it? If you do, it's going to require some things. It's going to require some effort on your part. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to break it down for four things real quick and get you out of here. Four things I believe we need to protect our relationships to God and to those we love about. This is going to help you in your walk with God. It's going to help you deal with the people that you say that you love. Number one, intensity. Intensity. But I want to give you a working definition of what intensity takes. I, I, I put this together so you can have a, a thought that says intensity equals passion plus power plus concentration. 
if you claim that you're giving intensity to your relationships, you need to say, but am I passionate about it? Am I putting all my power into it? And am I doing it over a long period of time? See, intensity that works for relationships is not that one year, one night a year, ladies, where you please your man. You think I'm kidding. I've had men in our men's group tell me, well, good news for me, next week's my birthday. Listen, if, if, if that, if you're in trouble a lot right there. You waited 364 days for that. You need to get into counseling. I'm trying to help y'all. This is real life. Go to some of the mother churches. You don't want real life. Go somewhere else. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm, 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 I'm here to help somebody. It, it can't be intense one night out of the year. And you say you care about it. Man, you can't tell your wife, well, I told her I loved her when I married her. There are men who really think that way. That's not helping her. That's not helping your, well, my kids know I love them. I keep a roof over their head, don't I? It's not, that's not that easy. It takes more than that. It can't be these isolated things. You, you got you to be intense about maintaining and, 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 and helping blossom all your relationships. you got to put your passion into it. you got to put your power, every ounce of energy that you have, and you have to do it over a long period of time. How are you doing? How intense are you in your relationship with God? Are you passionate about it? Do you put your power into it? Are you consistent? What about your relationship with the people you say you love? See, this is, this is when I love, I started to say earlier, and I got sidetracked by my own level of talking. It's bad when you interrupt yourself. I, I love for people who have girls, daughters, when they get old enough, and it's usually late 20s to 40, some earlier, some later. Hold on for it, Mom. When the daughter stops being angry at the mom and thinking she knows more than her mom. When the daughter stops feeling like I'm, I'm grown and I don't need you anymore. See, when she was a little girl, she was on your apron string. She got to feeling herself around 12, 14, 16, somewhere in there, and then she decided she was as smart as you were. But when she grows up, and see, I see this happen so many times, because, and it probably happens with, 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 with guys too. Women are just more articulate about, you know, expressing to me how that happens, is that when the daughter gets really mature the mom knows because the daughter comes back around to being on mom's apron again she comes back around and she she has this re realization i didn't know it then but i know it now you're the best person in my life and if you haven't come to that in your life as a young woman to your mother you need to grow into that and you need to realize nobody ever loved you the way she did what she did for you, she did for you out of a heart of pure love without hope for personal gain. And she's probably the only human being in your life other than God who will ever treat you that way. If you have a daughter who hasn't come around to that, pray God they live long enough to grow up and realize that everything you did was for them. Because this, 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 some people take their hand off the wheel and they stop nurturing their relationships. And the more mature you are, the more realization you need. I, you, you, the more understanding that you, you, you have that says, I've got to be serious about my relationships because these things are too important to leave alone because they will decay on their own. You've got to have intensity. Number two, you've got to have intentionality. 
And you you, you got to be intentional about what you do. You got to do things on purpose. I I was t- I was telling my sons because they they both want to follow my family's military all the way back, and and everybody in my family's always been in the military. A lot of, a lot of Navy, great 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 ones went in the army. That's just almost a joke, but y'all know I believe it. Um, talking to my kids about going in the military, and I told them it doesn't matter if it's a three-year enlistment or a 30-year enlistment. It will shape your life. It will shape your view of life. It will shape your view of your character. It, it, it will, it, it's, I, I know people who were in for a cup of coffee, and I know people who were in for 30 years, and it had an impact. Uh, uh, Deacon Dixon has been in the military for over 30 years. It, it, it has an impact. Young soldiers, old soldiers, they're shaped by it. Am I right? It, it, it has an impact on your life. And I was impacted so greatly uh, in my time in the Army, and, and I remember so much about it. And one of the things that I just remember all the time was my drill sergeant Robinson would tell us all the time, move like you got a purpose, boy. Do it on purpose. Take that weapon apart on purpose. See, because it's so easy just to get absent-minded. It's so easy just to go on coast. Some of y'all listen on purpose when you come to church because you desperately want to hear from God, and some of y'all just sit there waiting on it to be over. But if you want your relationships to blossom, you have to be intentional about them. You got to have a purpose. You got to know this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to be all, I'm in it to win it. I'm going to be about it. I'm going to be about loving the people I love. The people that I care about are going to know I care about them because I am going to live today and not exist. I'm trying to get you to see that you can stop existing and start living. You got to be in bloom. Number three. It requires attentiveness. And when I say attentiveness, I want you to think special treatment. Say special treatment. I want you to begin to be willing to give special treatment, give attentiveness to the people you say you love. How how many of y'all parents know that the majority of the time when you're talking to your kids, they've tuned you out? Do you understand that? They've tuned you out. They pretend like they're listening, but in their mind they're like, dork. Yeah, right. In, in, in their mind, they're like, there she go again. Oh, I never heard that one before, Dad. That's, you're a genius. Because they're not mature enough to understand the value of paying attention. But if you care about your relationship with God, you need to pay attention. If you care about the relationship to the people you claim you care about, you need to pay attention. Children, you need to pay attention to you when your parents are talking to you. My children did not expect for their mother to die when they were two and four years old. They did not expect to not have functioning memories of the things that she told them, even though she told them a lot in their young life. If your parents died, if a spouse died, if somebody you care about died, I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. You just wish you could hear them talk to you one more time. Just want to hear grandmama's voice one more time. Just want daddy to be able to say one more thing to you. See, when Gail died, now every time I tell this story, people will have such a smarter answer than what I gave. But, you know, people are smarter than me, so it is what it is. When Gail died, for almost a year, I kept paying for her cell phone line to be active so I could call the phone and just listen to the recorded message. So which everybody's like, 
could have recorded that yourself. You could have just listened to it on the phone. You didn't have to pay for service. Well, you're right, but the reality is I just wanted to hear her voice. If you care about who you say you care about, start paying attention. Children, you don't know what the last piece of instruction your parents are going to tell you. You need to listen. Husbands, you don't know what the last thing your wife is going to tell you. You need to listen. Wives, the same way. We need to be attentive. See, being in the moment is one of the hardest things to do. But it's one of the easiest things to do. It just matters on how much you really care. See, I can tell people who listen when I preach and people who just hate being here. Because I've been doing this for a long time. I can tell how much some people, not everybody, I'm not a magician. I can tell by the way some people express themselves in this dialogue, in this interchange that we're having. Although it sounds like a, mo a monologue, I'm seeing a dialogue because some people are listening. Some people are hearing. Some people are, are giving signs that they're taking this in while other people aren't paying attention at all. See, it's your choice. If you care about a relationship, you get to choose how attentive you want to be. But I promise you, if you don't give your attention to the things that you love, one day they'll be gone and you'll wish you had. This is the voice of experience talking to you. you. You can't pay for this kind of instruction. Fourth thing and the last thing takes focus. Say focus. Something that is the center of your attention is easy to focus on. But if you take your eyes off the prize, it's easy to lose focus of. My kids almost every day ask me, hey, Dad, can I go in your bathroom and weigh myself? I'm thinking, I can tell you exactly what you weigh right now, son. It, it, it's within one or two-tenths of what it was three hours ago when you weighed yourself before we ate. You didn't put on 25 pounds of muscle after lunch. But they, they, they want to know. So, yep, come on in. Weigh yourself. They are paying attention. Why? Because that's their focus. They're focused on that. That's, that's, that's part of, it means something to them. Everybody in this room who is losing weight, I, I, I don't see Kari here. If, if Kari was in the room, she could tell you, Kari lost a lot of weight over a short period of time. Uh, and it was, just, it was just wild. And I'm like, how much weight have you lost? She didn't say, oh, well, I don't know. I didn't really pay attention. You know why she knew? She was focused on it. You know why she was successful? Because she was focused on it. Now, see, a, a, a lot of us, not, not all of us, especially not me, but a lot, 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 lot of us people in the room who, who are, you know, if, if you're really sensitive, you call yourself thick. The rest of us know you're fat. But <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with being fat. I've been fat for a long time. The difference between my fat and your fat is I untuck my shirt. Okay? That's one. And two, it honestly ain't no big deal to me. I made people like, well, Pastor, you know, if you just run 20 minutes, come on now. Well, who are you talking to? Pastor, if you didn't eat fast food every day, well, come on now. We were sitting at McDonald's last night over large fries with salt at 10 o'clock p.m. I mean, I ain't worried about my fat. I made peace with my fat. But the difference between people who are heavy, let me clean that up, and, and, and people who were effective in losing weight, it's not that both of them didn't want to, in their mind, lose weight. The ones who were successful stayed focused on it over the long haul. It's no different than, than, than getting an advanced degree. I've been 
you know, finishing up my doctoral program for, for years. P- people are like, Pastor, I thought you had a doctorate degree. Honorary doctors aren't really that impressive. Uh, earned doctors from accredited universities, a little different story. But, well, how can I be, fi- be 55 in a couple of months? I've been in school my whole life. I-, I still haven't got an earned doctorate degree from an accredited college. Why? Because I get focused on it and then I lose focus. Take a long time. To, to, to get o- over 100 postgraduate hours in an accredited university three hours at a time, or even three hours a year. But what am I trying to get you to understand? Focus. You say, well, Pastor, you're not living what you're preaching. Well, I ain't focused on that doctoral degree. I'm focused on keeping a roof over my children's head and keeping them fed and in school and graduating and getting up out of my home. <laughs> Everybody won't say that, but you feel it, men especially. It's the thing that you allow to be your center of attention that you have hope of giving value to. If you're not overly focused on it, it will just drift away. Your relationship with God, drift away. Your marriage, drift away. Your children, drift away. Your family, it just all drift away. So we're thinking about foxes. We're thinking about vines we're thinking about blooming we're thinking about life put the verse back on the screen for me we're done (laughs) urgency catch all the little foxes what kind of foxes little foxes are the ones who can sneak in and do damage see god's not calling your attention to the big things big things They're just easy to guard against. If if you can't get off drugs, alcohol, if you can't stop whoremongering, if you can't leave porn alone, if you you can't cut off bad relationships in your life, you're not even trying. Those those things just, you know, just done. Get some help. Go go to a real program. Get get an accountability person in your life. Get saved for real. These these things just, just, but it's those small things. It's those little things that have been gnawing at you for your whole life. It's those little things that come in. You know, you, you can't say, they don't say, I mean, what, what do you really think would do more damage in a vineyard? A tiny little fox or a big old raging bull? That raging bull come in there and uproot everything. A big old giant 700-pound hog will come in there and destroy everything. But bulls make lots of noise. Hogs make lots of noise. Foxes are small. They can come in unseen, and they're quiet in what they're doing. See, it's those little unseen things that you think nobody else sees that can be hidden from the masses, but the damage is all the same. Destruction. Watch for the little things in life, people. Look out for the little things in life because those are the things that tear up the relationship, the vineyard of your love. That's that's the relationships that you care about because God wants your grapevines to be in blossom. God wants an, ex, an external show that you're still alive. See, without those azalea blooms, I don't know that those plants are alive. When I see them blooming, they're pretty and they look alive. Without some blossom on your life, maybe you're just existing. What relationship, if I had to ask you this, if I had to finish by saying this, what relationship in your life has beautiful blossoms for people to witness. What could you point to? If you read, and, and I started not to do it. I typed it and deleted it. 
and 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 uh, and then retyped it. Um, somebody had said something uh, about my sister on Facebook, and I put this long thing on there on, on Facebook about how great my sister is. And I thought, ah, I'm gonna race that. People think I'm sucking up her because she signs a check. That ain't the story. <laughs> um, people get tired of hearing me talk about, uh, you know, how how great I think my sister is. Um, but that's a relationship that has blossom on it. You can't watch the way my sister takes care of me and this church without knowing, man, she really loves him and that church. And it's not just the church. You can't see the way she lives her life without realizing that she really loves the Lord. You can't be around her. One of the things I put about my sister on Facebook is that uh, she married and is still married to the man of her dream. And that relationship is, y'all haven't hit 30, have you? 29 years, okay? And, you know, Deacon Ken and, and Miss Diana could have easily used them. They're out of town celebrating probably their 100th year anniversary. I don't know. <laughs> They're old. They are old as deacons. They've been married forever. Uh, but their relationship Dina's relationship in their marriages is still in blossom. The way, the way I see Christians loving the Lord, there are people, uh, you, you can't watch my children around me without seeing love in blossom. There, there are relationships. What, what relationship, if I said point to it, tell me now. What relationship in your life that you say you care about is in blossom? Now remember, to bloom is an external sign that everybody who looks at it can tell there's life there. There's health there. There's value there. Because the reality is some of your marriages aren't in blossom. And you don't want to admit it. Time's going to admit it for you. Denial is going to manifest itself for you. Some of your relationship to your children are not in blossom. But time's going to admit it for you. See, it's natural for kids to grow up and move away. I have people in my life that I don't talk to for years that I'm just as close to as, as the last time I talked to them. We just pick right back up. But there are other relationships that used, I used to have in my life that I don't see or hear from anymore. And it's not the same. So your relationship's either in blossom or it's not. Just because you don't talk to mom every day doesn't mean you're not close to her, but you probably should talk to her more. If you don't talk to God every day, it doesn't mean that somewhere in your heart you don't love Him. But you're not in blossom. What I want you to do sometime today, tonight, this week, some point in your life, I want you to figure out which relationship in your life is important to you. Your relationship to God, the people you say you love, me, this church, the community, the world that God has given us to oversee and to have dominion of. Is it blooming? See, these foxes, these little things in life, they sneak in and they start to gnaw away. And they start to eat away at the fabric of your love. People get bitter. People get jaded. People just get busy. See, the devil wants to distract you so that you don't realize my crepe myrtles didn't bloom this year. Uh, no big deal. Maybe they'll bloom next year. 
See, that's just a crepe myrtle. You shouldn't be in love with a crepe myrtle. But if your relationship between you and your children aren't blooming, you ought to care about that. If your relationship between you and God is not blooming, if I can't see it from a distance, you ought to care about that. Now you need to do something about it because little foxes are coming in. Nothing ever falls apart. Well, most things don't fall apart in one moment. I told you about the wives that come in, 7,000 things, what's wrong with their marriage? And husbands are like, I never knew. It's only because they didn't care enough to watch. Or they got distracted by life. Maybe it wasn't intentional on their part. But little things crept in and started breaking down the fabric of relationships. Be intentional. Move on purpose. Live life on purpose. Have a purpose in your life to be everything that God created you to be. Don't settle with existing. Settle for living. I was going to have a big time of prayer up here. I'm not going to do that this morning, but I'm going I'm to tell you this. God gave you the life that you have. It's up to you what you do with it. None of us chose to come into this earth in the year that we came in. But what you do with the year that you have, it's on you. If you live as a victim and you play the excuse game, you'll always only exist. See, I'm a child of dysfunction, and it still shows. I'm a child of abuse. I'm a child of brokenness. All that is very real to me. I'm almost 55-year-old grown man with gray and balding hair. And I realized at some point in my life, I could keep blaming every bad thing in my life on what people had done to me and the disadvantages that my family had and the disadvantages that my family placed on me. Or I can realize I got to take control of what I can control. I got to get with living. I got to get on with this thing called life. Because if you keep blaming others for what's wrong with you, if you keep being a victim, you'll never feel the victory. You'll never be victorious blaming other people. Yes, there's dysfunction in life. There's hardship. There's difficulty. There's, there's, There's privilege and lack of privilege. But the life that you have is the life that you have. And I want you to make the most out of it. And here's the last thing I want you to understand. Your life is about the relationships that are in it. It's not about those other things. It's about your relationships. No one ever, and I've been with many people on their deathbed. I've sat with many people in hospitals. I've buried many people and been to many funerals. And I never had any one of them tell me, I just wish I'd have played another round of golf. I, wish I, I just wish I'd have got that one promotion on that job that, that, that I never got. I wish I'd have been a better dad. I wish I would have loved people the way I should have. I want to be your pastor. I want to be there for you and with you. 
through all the changes in your life. But I need you to live. I need you to live while you're living. If the time comes for us to bury you, I will stand over you and I, I will say truth about you. Now, if you stink as a human being, I'm going to tell folk that. But as long as you have life, I want you to be the best you you can be. And the way you do that is by paying attention to your relationships. Your relationship with God. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to the cross to die for you. You need to make that real in your own life. You need to be thankful for that. You need to understand that one day we're all going to stand before the judgment of God and he's either going to let you into his heaven or he's not going to. And the alternative is not good. Everyone in this room and every human being that ever existed will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. And the choice is yours. The choice is yours to either accept what Jesus did for you on the cross or to pay for your own sins. But it doesn't end with salvation. Too many people think spirituality ended the day they got saved. Your relationship doesn't end. So good to see Daniel and Christy in church. They got married last week in my office. They're faithful to the Lord. They're faithful to each other. I shared with them when they, in their wedding ceremony that too many people focus more on the wedding than they do on the marriage. They plan that wedding for a long time. They, they put all their heart and money into that wedding. That's not the end. That, that's not the big thing. The big thing's getting to that 30-year mark, that 50-year mark, that 80-year mark. The big thing is living life every day with all that you have. So I want you to leave this place today, and I want you to live. I want you to live for God. I want you to live for the people that you say you love, and I want you to let your life blossom. Let your relationships blossom. Let God bloom in you. The only way that can happen is if you find out what's gnawing away at your relationships. Name your foxes. What is it, sir, ma'am, young person? What is it that's drawing your attention away from the things you really care about? What is it? Catch it and kill it. Nobody catches the fox and brings it inside and makes a pet out of it. You catch it and you kill it. And you don't deal with it anymore. Some of you need to do away with some bad relationships that you've still got hanging over in your life. Name them as a fox in your life. They are a distraction. Cut that off. Be done with it. Habits, addictions, laziness, lack of prayer, lack of Bible study, lack of giving, serving, living. All these things are foxes. They're creeping in. You don't necessarily name them as your destroyer, but they're bringing destruction. Name them. Catch them. Kill them so that your love can bloom with God and with people. Pray with me, Lord, we love you. We all have foxes in our lives. Things that we let creep in, distractions, habits, worldliness, lack of attention. God, I pray that you would help us love the things that we say we love, love the people that we say that we love. We do believe that love requires action, God. You showed your love to us by sending Jesus to die for us on the cross, God. I pray that you would help us show our love for everything and everyone that we love. Help us, God, to pay attention before it's eternally too late. Thank you for your, gra your grace and your mercy. Help us, God, to be loving. Help us to be forgiving. 
Help us to be gracious. Help us to be merciful. And help us to bloom because we need you. This is our confession. This is our love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.